Thank you for listening to NSL Double Talk. Never stop learning. At Never Stop Learning, we connect you with engaging experts who join you and your friends or colleagues in conversation at a location of your choosing. With NSL Double Talk, we are bringing the Never Stop Learning model directly to you. Each podcast will feature two experts in conversation on topics that range from global affairs to wellness to arts to innovation. Sometimes the experts agree, sometimes they don't, but we will never stop learning and never stop laughing. NSL Double Talk, featuring Kathleen Chalfonce and Kate Mulgrew. Their topic today is Life as an Artist, a conversation between friends. These are two powerhouses who are both award-winning actors of stage, television, and film. Kathy Chalfonte is well known for her searing performance in Wit and Angels in America, and has most recently starred on Showtime's The Affair. She's an activist and an avid supporter of the arts. She serves on the boards of the Vineyard Theater and Broadway Cares. Kate Mulgrew is currently starring as Red in Orange is the New Black. Mulgrew is internationally recognized as Captain Janeway, the first female captain of the Starship Enterprise in Star Trek Voyager. Her first book, Born with Teeth, a memoir about life lived to the fullest, made the New York Times bestseller list. Kate's upcoming book, How to Forget, A Daughter's Memoir, is out in May 2019. We are so excited to welcome Kathy and Kate to NSL Double Talk. Kate! Kathleen. We've been trying to do this for years. We have. Why do we never succeed? I know, because we're each of us somewhere else all the time. I know, but it's a boys' club. All of it. But Kathleen, this is true of Hollywood. It's true of the world of acting. This is a sort of rough segue, but after what we've been through with Me Too, it's the same general idea, a boys' club. It is. It's the assumption from which you begin. All right. And I think that that's why there is so much trouble, because I honestly think that those men, honestly, in some deep part, don't understand what they've done wrong. Well, that's the, that's <laughs> the definition of narcissism, exactly. isn't it? Exactly. Yes. They think that this is how it's supposed to be. It's yeah. always been this way. And no one has ever stripped the clouds from their eyes. So from their point of view, and this goes for women too. I mean, everybody's been complicit in this. Absolutely. And it's only now that women are daring to sort of say. And we huh. are beginning. And don't you find how that it's refreshing on particularly TV sets I find that there are more and more women in the technical crafts. See, I love that. It used to be that there weren't ever any women anywhere near the cameras. You're right. It was as though they They're were right there. Came. And one of my operators is eight months pregnant. That's even better. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. It's a new day. It's marvelous that way. It is. Yeah, they're there. But it's, it's funny and I think a little bit sad that there wasn't a a coming to Jesus moment long before this because we've all been in the game together. Do you know? Right, exactly. And I don't know why we've compartmentalized it to such an extent. Well, and we have all done it. When things have come out, all of us have said, oh, yeah, we knew that. Yeah. And we need always to ask ourselves, why didn't we say anything? Why didn't we protect our fellows in a more active way? I mean, quite often you'd commiserate with somebody that some god-awful thing had happened to. But we didn't get together to make it stop. But now... I feel slightly blunted, as if by a heavy instrument by all of this, because, I mean, maybe it did. I don't think it ever happened to me. No, it didn't happen to me either. I mean, I just, the casting couch never, I used to make a joke, which is now in very poor taste, and say, nobody wanted me on the casting couch. Exactly. They just wanted me in the part. But I do have to say that the part, the thing that never happened to me that I didn't even know was a thing, which apparently was an everyday activity, is people, men, pulling out their 
is in the middle of a business meeting. Oh, God, See, can you imagine? You no. know what I would say? I think this meeting is over. <laughs> but, but then Do why, why does that? the woman sit there aghast, staring at the said I don't know. This is the problem because we too have, there's a fear. I think, well, I think we thought, we thought as a group, the people to whom it didn't happen and the people to whom it did happen, that that was the way of the world. You know, there's an odd thing about having a sense of humor. When all else fails, then they say, oh, for God's sakes, you know, lighten up. Okay. Yeah. And that gets you every time because yeah, yeah. heaven forfend that we should go through the world with that we a should sense be humorless, humor. right, right? Right, or not one of the guys yeah. uh, of whom I was one. I'm afraid because I had so many brothers, I just sort of dealt with it like that. Right. But I do think it's reflecting that it never happened to me, nor did it happen to you. Oh. I wonder why. There must be something in us. You know, I look at you, and I remember the first time I met you. There is a strength you do emanate. You lead with a kind of strength. An intellectual strength, which is most off-putting to men when it comes to putting their on the table. Yeah, exactly. Do you know As what I mean? do you, I know they just, they go away. And yeah, I, don't, think I don't mean it. It's we a natural turn-off unless they go for you then the other, you know, and then right. they get to know you and then, of course, it's that. Right. So maybe that worked in our favor. Maybe so. Thank God, because yeah. it's one thing I certainly didn't want to contest no. with. It was hard enough to get the good parts, wasn't it? Yes, and we've had a lifetime of that. I have to say, as you get older, it's <laughs> weirdly, either it doesn't happen or it's easier. That's, easier it's for not, you. That's not an issue anymore. <laughs> yeah, how are you finding it? Actually, I work more consistently now than I did. I started only started working consistently after I was 40. And I was thinking about it when I was coming. I have work, you know, I'm not starring in Hollywood movies, but I have work that I love from now until 2020. It's wonderful. And I feel incredibly lucky. And and you too, you keep working, yeah. Yes, well, I've worked yeah. straight. It's been a long career. I've been yeah. acting for 40, probably as long as you have. Because yeah. I started very young and I dropped out of school and I didn't do all the yeah. right things the right ways. So I was professional at 19. Yeah. And started a series then, and then there was another one, and there have been four or five iconic roles, and that's been very lucky for mm-hmm. me. Um, but there have been periods of, of, of paucity. Right. And uh, almost despair, where you think, it's been a year, two years, you know? And I had young children, as did you. Mm-hmm. You get very uh, nervous about it, and then something comes to swing it the other way, and, and then you're you good. You do, and, we're, and though it is true... This notion that it's going to be the last job. Someday it will be. Someday it will and be you because we're know. going to die, right? <laughs> no, yes, are you? But and I do want to ask you this question. Well, I don't know if we should say this. I, you're probably going to be hesitant to talk about it. Maybe not knowing you. You're brave. Do you want to act till the end? Actually, I do. It's the only thing I know how to do fairly well, and it grows more and more mysterious for me. I, I more and more don't understand how it works. And I like it. I like doing it. If I could do anything else, I think I probably would do that. If, like you, I could write, I would do that. I've been teaching a little bit, and I don't want to continue teaching because I feel like a fraud. I know people who are wonderful teachers, and, and that's a true and inherent gift. I lack it too entirely. Absolutely. And Frustrating. People, <laughs> and people who know how it works and have a great deal more to offer. 
So I act because I. Well, you're teaching I, acting. One thing I like. I was teaching acting, Speculate, but I think yeah, I'm yeah. not going to do that anymore. Yeah. Um, so if you could or loved to write, let's say, or sculpt or paint, yeah, you would go there. I think I would only because, as you know, the difficulty with being an actor is that you have a very limited control over your life. You're always dependent upon somebody choosing you unless you, you know, make your own work. So well, that's that, what's harder and harder for me, too. So that if you, you want uh, control. I want to, I certainly want creative freedom. Yeah. Exactly. I want that liberty at this point. I've earned it. I'm 63 years yeah. old. Hence Ireland and those long periods there where I am writing. It's deeply satisfying. And do you find it, it's odd. I was talking the other day to, uh, I was in a, a little play called the Pussy Grabber Plays. Uh, <laughs> those are fun go. to do. What did I miss it? With Katie Finneran. And Katie, Katie. started to write. Mm-hmm. And she says that she finds writing Agonizing. Yeah. I think you don't find writing the no, act no, of writing par- agonizing. Parts of it are agonizing. And in Ireland, when you're alone in the winter, uh-huh. where it is dark most of the time, I mean, the pocket of light is for about four or five hours, yeah. and it rains all day in the winter, every day. And you light the fire, and there's a terrible kind of austere loneliness. And I cry a lot. And then I sit down, and I get to it. So is there agony? Yes, because it's so lonely. And what's your schedule? What do you do? What's a writing day for you? For me, it's very, not rigid, but it's very organized and ordered in Ireland so, so as to keep the loneliness at bay. Right. Because I can't be having a mad social life, do you know? Yeah. I could easily do that in Ireland. But I, I have a, a wonderful house, and I get up at 8, and I have my little breakfast, and I sit down at 9. I take a break from 12 to 1. I'll go out and take a walk in the rain. I'm back from 1 to 4. And that's it. Then I light Ooh, the fire Kate, and pour that's myself a, long a whiskey. Day. And how many yeah. days a week? Five, six if I can squeeze wow. one out on the weekend. And is there anyone else in the house? Any or no. other a creature? A dog? A- Bats. Bats! No, I don't have a, a Bat creature. Bats sleeps. My boyfriend comes and visits, but rarely. Uh-huh. So it's a kind of loneliness. But out of that comes the stuff. Yeah. So for me, it works. And I like that. And I want it in my old age. Do you know? Right. Solitude is, I think, a beautiful thing. So do I. And it becomes easier, somehow easier and easier. I, do you not feel, well, you're no. not, you're 10 years younger, 11 years younger than I am. But I find that as time goes on in an odd way, as long as all your parts work, life becomes easier and there are things that don't Matter. Matter anymore. You don't care anymore about right. the nonsense, and neither do I. Right. I really don't give a flip when anybody thinks about yeah. me or where I'm going or what I'm doing. It's no longer important. It's not on the table. Right. What is important is uh, love, my children, my great friendships. I'm yeah. like Samuel Johnson. I consider that really, really a gift, Essential. a gift of friendship. Essential. Nature, beauty, mm-hmm. which is why New York's becoming increasingly difficult for me. I love this city, but it's assaultive. It Don't, is. It, it's tough. The good part about it is the humanity of it. I love what yeah. I find difficult in Los Angeles is because I grew up in California, so I grew up in a car. I drove everywhere. And I find now that being in a car is isolating, and I miss coming home and just walking. 
seeing whoever there is to see and riding the subway. I love to ride the subways. Has moving to, to Brooklyn made life any different for you? Not really, though. I do love the... It's an interesting transition because we live in Brooklyn Heights, so we're just the second stop in Brooklyn at Borough Hall. So when you get off the train at Borough Hall, mm. you're downtown. It's, you know, the courthouses are there and the right. stores and all like that. And then you walk toward the river on Jerolman Street and gradually find yourself in London. Really? Because, among other things, the trees that they planted there were plane trees. And they did it consciously because Brooklyn, Brooklyn Heights, was the first suburb of the city. And it right. used to be that the clear way of getting to the city was across the water. And the other thing that fascinates me about you is your longtime marriage to Henry. You just said 53 years. We were married the Saturday after Thanksgiving in 1966, which means we can never remember the date. <laughs> Somewhere around Thanksgiving. But I dare say you are in uh, a category of your own. I think that there must be no more than three people like that in this business. I mean, to sustain a marriage, I should say maintain a marriage for 53 years, given the vicissitudes and vagaries of this bloody business, is some kind of a, a, a medal-winning thing, isn't it? I guess it is, and I also think it's, you know, it's true of our marriage as well as everyone else's that every family has its ups and downs. I think if you've chosen the right person, and, you know, I was... 21, so uh, it was Young. completely an accident. But I think we both understood that we'd somehow or another chosen the right person. So through all the ups and downs and all the difficulties, we stuck. And we also had children almost immediately. Our son David was born a year and a half after we were married, and then Andromache was born four years after that. And it makes it more... The impulse to try to make the thing work, if you have Works if you have children, children helps and with children. And if both, and I, I mean, I think in our case, Henry was a better parent than I. So if we'd ever separated, I'd have left the children with Henry because he was better at it when we were young. But the point is... But the, we stuck it out, and now it's nice, I have to say, like so many other things, it's nice to have the nice part now when you need it. You know, but you were able to stick it out because he was yeah. your soulmate. He was. We liked each other. We made each other. And even in the worst times, the thing we did best was to travel together. And we now do that thing that old couples do, which is either to finish each other's sentences or to say exactly the same thing at the same moment. That's strange. And that's because we grew up together. We, well, I think it's absolutely it was remarkable. Really, it was really nice. You did it another way. Yes, I think I did it a sadder way. I'll be quite frank about that. I mean, if I could go back and... But I was shot out so young, Kathleen. Yeah. The problem with my life, if there is one, and there isn't really, but if you're talking about the complexities yeah. that shape you, uh, if there's any kind of a crucible, it would have been that I really entered the fray too young. Right. And I was from too many children. Do you know when we were right. drop-kicked out of the house when we were two? It, was just, it just felt like 17 right. to come to New York was just so young. And at 19 to become professional. It was. But I didn't feel it. However, it took root in me. Mm -hmm. It took a hold. And what took hold was the professional, the ambitious mm -hmm. part of me was vibrant, vital, strong, deep. And I would put the other thing to the side. Yeah. Quite deliberately. So I've been married and divorced twice. This has not prevented me from having three children. 
But if I could go back and reshape it, I probably would finish school, take a breath, you know, take a measure of myself, yeah. proceed slowly, and wait and see if I could find my soulmate before rushing into the arms of, you know. I was engaged eight times. It was just ridiculous. Right. It was just silliness. Yes, I like you and I like you. But if I could do that, I would do that. I admire it. I think it strengthens you as an individual, probably strengthens you as a mother. So that's a sadness, a little bit of a sadness. There are two questions always in this, and it, I'm getting it a, a lot, and I'm sure you do, from your colleagues that are about the age of your children. Mm. And now my children are in their late 40s and early 50s. Mm-hmm. Both of them have children, and both of them do some version of this. But the, there is on the one question the question of companionship, which is finding your own. So the other question is what it's like to be a parent in this business and what your children think about the fact that we, because of it, we disappear from time to time. Is that an issue oh, that you... Um, it was a heartbreaking issue yeah. in, in my life because I got the part of Captain Janeway, which changed my life and was a big deal at that time, the first female Star Trek captain ever. I remember when you did. Yeah, it was big. <laughs> my kids were nine and ten. Uh-huh. At the very moment when they needed me most, maybe even younger. And those were 18-hour days for yeah. seven years. I mean, there's no joke about that yeah, kind I of know. a schedule. I had full-time live-in help. They were wonderful. But they resented that and to this day will not discuss it, right. have never seen it. They were always good about the theater. For some reason, that was not only accepted, but it was respected. Well, the theater isn't an 18-hour day. No, and you can and be you, there. Right? And you can come to see what the work is, and it ends. Right. Yeah. I, that's, I don't know that there's an answer to it. No, I there don't is know an answer what to the it. Right, there is don't an answer. do it. If you really want to protect yeah. them, don't do it. Right. Uh, but if you really want to be the actress that you're burning to be, you don't have much of a choice. Right. Right. And, right. and I was burning to be yeah. that. So I did it. And uh, they've forgiven me, for lack of a better way of putting it, but they missed me in a way that they should not have had to miss their mother in the formative years between 11 and 17. Right. And that's just the way it was. What about you? Same thing. Yeah. You know, in the, sa- the same way we... I always thought that we arranged it so that one or the other of us was home. Henry was a sculptor until he was 40 and then became what he is now, which is the seminal figure in in, uh, urban popular culture, which meant that he worked a lot as a photographer. He was away a lot and made films and all like that. But I always thought one or the other of us was at home. But I realize now that that's not how it felt to the children. And it felt that I was absent more than Henry was absent. Well, they blame the mother. And, well, and it's also part of what we were talking about at the beginning. The paradigm of the culture um, is that it's expected that the dad isn't always there. And in my case, I don't know about yours, in my case, the dad was there more than the cultural norm. So it felt like I was gone more than the cultural norm. And I have now my young friends ask this, and my daughter, because my daughter is a set designer and teaches, Mm -hmm. she's a wonderful set designer and teaches at uh, NYU and they live in New Jersey and they have one uh, nine-year-old. 
And how is she dealing with it? Well, it's she stopped working for about two years, and then, like Captain Janeway, she was given offered a job that you you couldn't. You can't say no. Turn down. Well, you can, but you don't. And, and you can. You know. <laughs> you you think, <laughs> What right. does it mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so she's wrestling with that now. There's no solution, Kathleen. I think there isn't a and solution. And women may have to be very frank about this. I'm yes. so sick of women just dancing around it. And also, I was the breadwinner, right? So I'm going through a divorce. I was making, I had to support yeah. the household. But that was kind of minor. I always no, find that's a little you, bit of bullshit. It is. You, know, you wanted to yeah. do the job. and I really wanted to do the right. job. So I told them that. First mistake. Don't tell your 10 and 11-year-old boys that you want to do a job, that you're passionate about it, because they're cross-eyed about it. They want you. It's a fundamental kind of thing. So uh, I should have raised them more with a greater clarity uh, regarding my passion for the Mm -hmm. work. Do you know? That should have been an ongoing conversation at the dinner table because I I knew that it was unalterable and I knew that it was immutable and this was the whole thing. But they were somehow shocked at my absence. The weekends were devoted to them, but the weeks were just Right, and the weekends and those 18-hour days, the weekends start, (laughs) you know, Saturday at 6 p.m. Well, no, Saturday at 6 a.m. because of the soccer game, but I mean, it was just like walking. But but often you're working because if the day gets pushed, you start working late on a Friday. No turnaround. There's no... I often have the sunset driving home on a Saturday morning. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. But you don't tell your kids that. You're and up it, for the soccer game. And in the end, your, it doesn't make any difference. No, it doesn't. You're either there or you're not there. But that's been a real uh, source of conflict in my life. It's a re- I, that's a real mm-hmm. issue. It is. For, not for the men. Not so much for the men because mm-hmm. of expectations. And even and that's I think beginning to change now. There are I'm sure you do too. You have friends, of families in which both. It's better than it's ever Both been. Both spouses are actors. Hands on. Or, mm-hmm. uh, and, and they share the... Actors are better if they're both actors. Yeah. Don't you find two artists together manage that unless the male artist is a narcissistic Picasso or, or something like that. Or one of them, or the, or the job right. is in Sri Lanka, you know? Right. There are such peculiar temptations yeah, that we have, and sometimes big ones and sometimes small ones. And for me, the one that always sticks out the most is my son's graduation from college. He was don't tell me you missed it. Uh, <gasps> oh, I was doing Angels in America, oh. and the year that he was supposed to graduate, I knew when he was going to graduate. We made the schedule. Made the schedule. So that I could go, and for reasons that had nothing to do with him, he didn't graduate that year. So he graduated the next year. The day of his graduation was the press night for Angels in America in Los Angeles. Oh, sweetheart. So, and I'm crying. You know. What the hell? And yeah. those are, you know, bad enough for me, but that's, you know... As you were saying, what do your children know? How does it feel? Do you know and how it manifests? What is there to be done, done about it? Nothing. A profuse and deeply felt apology, yes. ongoing until the day you stagger into your Absolutely. grave. Absolutely. And that's the ball game. That's true. And I think the only, you know, the only 
upside to all of this mad uh, independence, uh, creative independence, is that uh, I've never had to ask a man for a bleeping nickel. And that has been a great example for my children. I mean, I have made my way by myself. Mm -hmm. And I have, uh, I love that aspect of my life, and I'm sure you do too. That is a wonderful thing. Complete financial independence. Uh, Because I think a lot of what happens in creative marriages is she'll defer because he's bringing home the the money, and she shouldn't. So if I've taught them anything, it's don't ever do anything for money. Absolutely. You shoot yourself right in the head. And when you do it, it's, have you, I don't know if it's true for you, almost every time, in fact, it's every a mistake time. Every time. When they say, well, you really should do this because it's good for your money, career, whatever, right. it's almost always disastrous. Always. I quite agree with you. Yeah. I've never led with that. It's nice, especially as we get older, isn't it? And here's the paycheck. Right. I mean, that's very, very nice. Right. But no, no, it's never defined me. Money has never been a thing. Thank God in all his glory. That's true. And we've both been lucky. It we have. comes. It comes, yeah. So, And with any luck, yeah. it will continue to come. Right, and then there are those things. Who, did you ever think you were going to have a pension? Well, I had one from the time I was 19 because my takeoff was big. Oh, right. I mean, I was successful right away. Right, but I mean that somehow I'm not sure I've realized that if I, just by breathing... People would send money in the yeah, mail. Yeah, you don't have to do anything. Isn't that peculiar? Wonderful things like never. passive income. It never <laughs> occurred to me that no, that no. might be a thing that it's would magical, happen. You know, you think, whoa, isn't that Are nice? you as kind of, mm, what's the word? I want to be good about this because I know you're smart as hell. Uh, but money and all matters about money have eluded me. I've had a business manager yeah. all my life. I'm just not interested, so I don't know. Do you know about money? I just think it's floating around, isn't it? There are large parts of money that I don't know so much about. The sort of day-to-day money, I realize I still do what my family did, which was you never take a loan, always pay in full, (laughs) know how much money you're going to have at the end of the month. No debts. No debts. That kind of sort of small... That Spartan sort of old-fashioned yeah, little. Thing. I mean, so stop I short so of nice. stuffing the mattress, but yes. just. <laughs> right. And in the world's way, I wish that we could organize our economic system to be based on the notion of enough rather than more. Wouldn't that be something? Because those of us who are privileged, God knows, have enough and get a little more, you know, from time to time. The majority of people don't have enough so that we and the people in the next layers above can get more and more and more and more and more. And you ask yourself, I don't know if, I'm sure you do, if you live, both of us have lovely places to live and you have a lovely place in Ireland and everybody has enough to eat and you can take care of your children and you think, how much more could you need? Absolutely not a bit more. But then you understand with much greater clarity, not to mention sympathy, what has happened in the last few years. But I think what happens first is fear. You're right. First is fear. A misunderstanding or a a feeling of confusion followed by anger, which is then stirred up to absolute abject fury. And then they came out uh, like Cossacks from the forest. My own people, the farmers, right? right? It's just a blind, unmitigated rage 
at our little bit of privilege, not to mention uh, everybody right. else's. Well, I suppose we should talk a little bit about how we work together. Yes, we our should. Our one and only time. We should talk about it. it Somewhere was, Fun. Somewhere by, Fun was a wonderful play. By and the, the wonderful Jenny Schwartz. By yes. the wonderful Jenny Schwartz and with the most astonishing set design because the floor was pink. At the vineyard. At the vineyard. Which was a perfect place for it, wasn't it? Yeah. And I thought you were terrific. And I thought the play was, uh, I think we, we needed more time. We didn't get it. Right. We didn't get it. But she was so promising, and, and I loved the whole thing. We had very little to actually do together. Well, we had the whole first act we that had, we did together. Well, I had with, well, with Mary. Right. We did all of that, and then we spun off to the thing right. together. But I think something happens when two actresses work together in the theater that otherwise would obviously yeah. not inform their relationship. It's a strange and wonderful kind of intimacy. We shared a dressing room with, there were four of us in right. the dressing room, cordoned off only by a curtain separating us from the men, right? right. So we could hear all of their right. conversation. But do you remember those nights? I think people would be fascinated to know what goes on in a dressing room half an hour before curtain. Absolutely. Right? As the nerves are going up and the conversation is sort of bubbling a and lot you hear, of stuff is shared. You hear people, it's interesting because the loudspeaker is on, so you hear the audience come. Yeah. And we're there. The great thing about the theater is that it is essentially democratic. Everybody has to show up and be there at the same time. Right. And we are, each of us, responsible for all of it which is what's different from the movies and the TV. Because right. in the movies and the TV, if they don't take a picture of it, it didn't happen. And somebody else decides what they take That's a exactly picture right. of. If one piece moves the wrong way in the theater, yeah. it affects everything. Right. But I think that something does happen to us that doesn't happen to other people in the world when you're, we're in a dressing room and in a process right. like a play. There's just a kind of, I mean, do you remember some of that? unbounded, hysterical laughter yes. in rehearsal. And then the nerves when we went to preview because the language was so unwieldy and so fast and we had to stay on top of it. I mean, you had... And there were funny physical things too because oh, we right. fell on the ground and we're tottering around in great high heels. and Right. It was wonderful. Yeah. That. And just fun. Fun. Even though terrifying sometimes. High stakes there on that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah passing was. each other backstage. We had a foot of space. Yes, Do you right, remember? Right, right, right. And of course, you're running your lines. What the hell am I running lines? Oh, my God. Right, oh, my right, God. Right, Shoot right, me right. high. Bye. Right, bye, right, right. Here we go. Yeah. But right. it, it, it immediately establishes a depth and an intimacy that otherwise would take, yeah. you know, months Years. I love that about the theater. I do too. I love that feeling in a rehearsal. And I also love that every night you go from the beginning to the end. Yeah. And you have a shot every night. Yes, right. Deepening it, improving it, lifting it it up. This time, this time we're going to get it. Exactly. Although in film, I'll tell you, especially in this series that I do, Orange is the New Black, that you get multiple takes if you ask for them is heaven. Yes, I have to say that because they use uh, videotape instead, or you know, electronic media yeah. instead of physical film, it's once more made it possible to do that. Because there was a period toward the end of the film era mm-hmm. that film was so expensive that. It, well, it, trust it, me, when I was doing Janeway, yeah. if I did this, it was like really, it was good, it was good, it was right. good. Now I just go. 
Let's, right. And it's, and, and it's and done. People, and people do it. Yeah. And the t- I mean, it's interesting, all these technical innovations, because the other thing that used to happen is you'd have to reload every 15 minutes. And it took a long time. Which was awful. This is frightening. It was terrible. Don't give me that time. Great Don't give me big, that time. And now there's lots more time. Yeah. And it used to be that a lot of time, well, they still now, now they figured out that even if you're entirely in the dim, it takes three hours to light it. But still. Used to be the take forever and ever and ever to light it. And now there are more possibilities with light. It's really... It does allow us to... It's a different kind of challenge. But what it does is it allows you to grab the moment if you're, yeah. if you're able to do so as an actor. Right. The theater gives you a little time. Right. And you get to practice. And you get to practice you get for to a month, spend a, at least a month. It seems to me that acting on TV... It's not so hard acting on TV in the movies, but what's really fascinating is to watch how it all fits together. I think it is hard all to those do people. it on, uh, uh, to act on camera. I think it is hard. Huh. I mean, that clinical instrument, I've always had a, a, yeah. a, a sort of strange relationship with the camera. It's very clinical, and I think very, very critical of me. Now, of course, every, I, I, I think a lot of people think that. Um, so I always go up to the camera when I give it a kiss, a little pat, and say, we're going to be pals today, because I know that it's there. Uh-huh. And it's my audience. Yeah. So I've always, you know, I felt that since I was 18, 19 years yeah. old. In a way, of course, you don't feel in the theater. You're going out. I just feel at home there. Right. And the audience is your friend. I never understand uh, our colleagues who... Hostility. Who, ha- who have a, right, a, an adversarial relationship well, to the scared. audience. They're just scared. Right. We're because all scared. You, you're scared, but you then if you have that, you think I don't get what the point of the idea is for of the thing is for us all well, to be putting in here the blame. together. That's the point. You're yeah. smart. See, the whole thing about camera is there's no one to blame but yourself. Yeah, there are many roles I don't get, and I understand why I don't get them. Meryl Streep gets most of them. Um, or somebody. I mean, I, I understand it. I'd say there's a handful of time when it's just. I've suffered from it, suffered. But it's never been a daily thing. And I've had such good luck in getting great roles that are sustained over a long period of time that I would say that it has, it's not really in my, I don't talk about rejection. Mm -hmm. I don't, I I, I don't. Do do you? I I don't either. It's odd. I guess it's where you temperamentally put the onus. Because if I don't get something, particularly now, mostly I think, and as happens to Kate, mostly by this time people sort of know what we can do and they just ask you. But from time to time, you're asked still to audition. And if I don't get the job, I always think that it is that I either didn't have to offer what was wanted or often I can see that I've done the thing badly. So it doesn't feel like rejection. It feels like a job interview where you say, well, Mm. how can I do this better? Or if I'm asked to do this thing, should I say, no, I'm not interested in doing that? All right. I'm often asked, for instance, people assume I can sing, and I can sing in my shower. Alone, door locked. But I find singing and the idea of singing in public <laughs> absolutely terrifying. I have nightmares about it. <laughs> and so I just, I've now said, do they understand that I don't sing? Yeah. 
I think when we're young, we're willing to try anything. Yeah, you think, I'll try. How bad could it be? Well, bad. But I also think what happens with projection, (laughs) I I had that bad year or two. But I was in my 30s, and the kids were so young. I was afraid. Yeah. And I was insecure, and I wanted it so much. So when you lead with that, it's like an animal. Yeah. I think they smell that. But if you come in with confidence, and you do have the role in your head and in your heart and in your being, then there's what the thing. I mean, they gave it to somebody because they gave it to somebody else. And I think the important thing for somebody who's wanting to do this is to understand that mostly you don't get the job. If you add up the number of possible jobs that there are. Well, one has to know that going in. Well, I think people don't really understand that. And if you understand that, that it's just part of the job, then what you need to concentrate on, as we've been lucky enough to do, are the ones you did get and the joy of it. I think it may be wrong to frame it as rejection, it's interesting. It's always written yes. as rejection. Rejection's you know. not really the yeah. word. It's less an issue. I mean, it's. I think it's different from being a writer because that's the product of five years. You know, though, and also the whole thing is, if I may say, I'm going yeah. to say this for our for our tribe, the whole thing is about courage. We're always walking the plank from the minute you walk in the door to the audition to the minute the curtain goes up on opening night to the minute the guy goes, action. It's just you're flooded with adrenaline constantly because you're constantly being brave, right? And And that moment when you look around the table and you see, well, I see why they hired everybody else. Why did they hire me? Yeah. And and then the second week of rehearsal in a play toward the end of the second week of rehearsal in the play when neither you nor anyone else. <laughs> knows how to do what you're de- whatever it do. is that we were asked to do. <laughs> well, I remember that from our rehearsal yes, period. Right I mean, they were absolutely, we were on the floor. Right. It was so impossible. Know. But it is about courage. I mean, that's just, if yeah. you get into this field, you have to know that you're getting into a minefield. It's right? Krishna. Fair yeah. forward. Yeah, exactly. But I'm glad we did. We did it. We, we got did it. together. Now, listen, this follows. But, but dinner has to follow. Yes, this. we can have really dinner. Let's really plan that because you're one of the most fascinating women in the city, if not the world. You don't get to say that last. You get to say that first. Okay. <laughs> it's true of you, Kate. There were many joys in Somewhere Fun, but this is one of the great ones. I totally Yay! agree. More. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.